Welcome to One Hit Wonderful, the podcast where we're revisiting all of those amazing reality shows that unfortunately, or in some cases, fortunately, only have one season. I'm your host, Frank Pezzanite III. And I'm Meredith Broadbeck. And today we're going to be deep diving further into high society. We're doing episode three today, plus one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I do actually, it's so nice that we have um, house cleaning again for a change. Um, I just have a, a little teeny bit from Twitter. Um, let's see. I have to find, I want to get the name right. Um, who's that girly, girl X, IX. This is, I'm going to get all of this wrong. Um, it's W-H-O-Z-T-H-A-T-G-R-L-E-X-I-D. <laughs> and I'm pronouncing okay. that terribly wrong. I have a little bit of, you guys had COVID, so I have a little bit of COVID brain still. Um, said, just had a light panic seeing this on the podcast app. So ready to revisit the short-lived mess, fet, m- mess fest. So glad you both are giving this an hour long too. Let's see, I can, what the fuck, I mean, W-F-H to this. So very exciting. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Loose intervention. Lucinda reached out to Meredith and I, and we're not going to tell you guys what yet. Um, but with our listener Lucinda from at Loose Intervention, um, we are going to be doing a very special one-off um, mini episode about an exciting time in 1992. Um, this will be coming to you uh, probably early 2023, and we are very excited about it. We are. And Lucinda, I would like to say the email was incredible. So I'm, I'm loving everything about it. Um, and I think when we call it a short one off, I think we know it's going to be lengthy. Lengthy, <laughs> yes. But it'll just be one episode. But I'm yeah. very excited. So something to look forward to in 2023 for all of you and us. <laughs> yeah, there will be nothing mini or bite sized about this. It'll it'll be big fun in one dose. Um, so are you ready for the snob story? I'm ready for it. Who are we? Yeah. Covering? Who did you research for us? Well, so I'm very glad that in our last episode, I warned everyone, including you, that these people are real boring (laughs) because I think this will be the lowest of the snob stories (laughs) Um, because this one's even more boring than Dabney, I think. So the snob story for episode three, (laughs) excuse me, is Alexandra Ossipow. Fitting since she did not even appear in this episode at all. Well, I'll get, I read something about that and I'll get to it. (laughs) Okay. Alexandra Ossipow grew up in Manhattan. Not a big surprise there. She went to boarding school at the Hodgkiss School in Connecticut, which rings a bell. And I should have looked up their other famous alumni or something. Um, So she went to NYU after uh, boarding school and she majored in political science and French literature. And then she graduated from New York Law in 2003 and in 2008, she married a Wall Street trader, yet another big shock. And his name is Andrew Vesicchio, which reminds me of 90210. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> um, and he had three children from a previous marriage, but now they have two children. He still works on Wall Street. She's a lawyer. They still live in New York. But I did find property records, and they own a second home in Boca Raton. That's so. Right. Yep. And they paid just over a million dollars for it. I couldn't, I didn't look up the property itself, but I found the tax documents (laughs) somehow. It's so, Google is a wild, wild place. Um, 
Her Instagram is private. It's just a picture of her and her two kids on her profile. Um, I don't even think her LinkedIn was exciting. I think it was just like her name and the firm she works for. I tried to look up her family money and there were a couple sort of noteworthy ossipals. Like I was looking up her dad. Um, one is like an Upper East Side dentist. Couldn't find a picture or an age range. So I may have just made that up. And another one was sort of a somewhat prominent um, psychologist. Like I think someone wrote a book or whatever. And I was just kind of like, does it matter? I don't <laughs> I don't know who this is. Um, she she grew up wealthy on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and she still lives there. Big whoop. Um, but I read a blog of someone who watched this whole show actually on YouTube and sort of gave us their breakdown of things. And I guess Alexandra was so boring that they just, like, removed her from the show. So I think this episode was the start of that. Oh, really? So are we not ever going to see her again? I, I don't know. But that's I also think it's weird that she's a lawyer and she's friends with these people. I know, right? You know what I, I mean? I, Everyone else seems more like trust fund layabouts and like a lawyer. I mean, she that's a she went to law school, she passed the bar, like she's working for a firm. I can't imagine I, I would be annoyed if I had a career and was hanging out with a bunch of like layabouts. Right. And so we did this was filmed in 2010. Is that right? Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. So also she was two years married. She had just become a stepmother, you know, to these children and she has a new husband. And like, I'm not surprised that she probably wasn't coming out and wanting to film and do all this stuff. So like, yeah, that it may be her last appearance may have been the last episode. Do you think that when the producers were putting the show together, they were <laughs> like, we just can't have a show with two people? Because Dabney, I don't, wasn't in this episode either. Like, I, who knows how much more she's going to show up. Like, I, I mean, it really just seems to be mostly Tinsley and Paul. Like, we don't even get much of Jules. Like, she pops in every now and again, is horrible, and then pops back out. I was going to say, it seems to be a show about Tinsley and her Tinsley, mother, and then they yeah. sprinkle in Paul because they think it's funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Or whether, like, they, I, I don't know what tone they were going for with this show, but... Also on that note, I did try and do a little bit more research on Casimir after last episode, just you oh. know, his, his anger problems and whatnot. Um, and I think I've I've learned a thing or two about his psychology because he is second in line for his like head of house. So he's the Prince Harry. He is not the Prince William. Oh, and I was kind of yeah, I had that exact reaction. I was like, oh, that explains the chip on your shoulder. Um, but Germany doesn't still have princes, do they, or kings? Like, isn't he in line for nothing? He's, I think you still, like, they're, I think you still, like, inherit your house. You're still, like, oh. a person of, you know what I mean? Like, you're still noteworthy. And so he is second in line to be noteworthy in this region of Germany. So there's that. I also... I can't remember if I talked about this in the last episode or not, but I did attempt to do a very big deep dive into German princes. Oh, I just realized we never found out what Dale found out at the. That's what I was looking they, for. <laughs> they never brought it back up. So I did a real deep dive trying to figure out how German, what German royalty looked like during World War II. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> And I, I mean, all I could find was UK royalty who had dealings with the Nazis, but I could find nothing about, like nothing about any German royals. So I have no idea what Dale possibly could have been alluding to. 
No, and I looked up Casimir's like father and like the history of his house, and I didn't read anything about their World War II years either. I'm sure that I could probably dig a little bit deeper. Um, but then I got sidetracked by reading about Casimir's first wife, and we talked a little bit about her in our last episode, but she was 12 years older than him, um, which I found interesting. Not that that's a giant age gap, but I just always like that. Um, and after they, they must've been separated, but they weren't officially divorced yet. She became the mistress of the King of Spain. Oh yeah. And then on her Wikipedia page, she's pretty noteworthy. Like she owned a PR company or something like she had quite a career on her own, but she kept Casimir's name. So she still has his name, even though they've been divorced since 2005, but she became the mistress of the king of Spain. And there's a line in her Wikipedia that says, um, and once the king gave her 65 million euros as a gift. 65 million? I think that's what it says. Yeah, let me see if oh, I can find that. How do I become a royal concubine? Sign I know, up. right? Uh, well, and then I looked at what the uh, king looks like and I was like, oh, okay. Um, For 65 million dollars, you can look like fucking Jabba the Hutt. I'm fine with it. I will put on a blindfold and just dive in. Yeah. Hold on. Now I'm going to see if I can find it again. <laughs> I was like, good for her. I mean, sure. I wonder if she kept his name. Did she have a title? I wonder if she kept his name so she could keep the title. She... Kind of like the Countess when the Countess had to give up being the Countess. I think that probably is something to. Has something to do with it. Okay, hold on. Why can't I find her? I wonder what? how the king of Spain's wife feels about her. I don't know. Or the the queen of Spain. Yeah. Also, you guys, I'm stupid. I didn't realize that Spain had a king, so there's that. Okay, her name is Karina. She has her own Wikipedia. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um... In 2012, King Juan Carlos transferred around 65 million euros to her as a, quote, gift. <laughs> oh, I feel a little bit better because I have heard of King Juan Carlos, so I guess I'm not as stupid as I thought. Oh, wow. There's a whole BBC article. It's called The King, His Lover, and the Elephant in the Palace, and it's about her. Oh, I'm going to read it later. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Oh, Man, the Wikipedia references at the bottom of the page, that's really where you find the good stuff, let's be honest. Wow. Okay, anyway, so I tried. Alexandra's boring. (laughs) Whatever. Are you ready to dive into this? I sure am. And we had a real switcheroo because according to this episode, we're doing Sunday, Monday this time instead of (laughs) Friday, Saturday. So still making me laugh. on, On Sunday. We skipped the weekend. Um... So Tinsley is, um, oh God, the scene. Okay. I got it confused with another scene in her apartment. She's at her apartment. And her loft. And, yeah. And, you know, dating is such a roller coaster. And her apartment is looking better. You know, like it's more set up now. It actually looks more like an apartment than it did before. Now that it has it, stuff in it. it. It doesn't look like an office building as much. Agita. Because she's got this incredibly modern apartment that looks like Mario Buada, the Prince of Chins, threw up all over it. Like, it doesn't match. <laughs> no, it it's terrible. It doesn't match at all. It's, I mean, the decor does not match the apartment at all. I know. And I feel like sometimes you can pass that off really well, like, with style. But that's not what this is. Um, and when I say I mean, looks better, I just mean looks livable. It, it looks lived in. But to me, it almost appears, it looks like if 
some like tech bro died and his grandmother inherited his hip downtown loft and then had to live there and decorate it with her taste. Like yeah. that's what it looks like to me. I know. Um, so, but this is the scene where, you know, she's very proud of the fact that her apartment is looking more set up and she can't tell if she misses her ex-husband or whether she misses the stability of being married. Um, it's really, it's, she is what she misses is she's can't she's incapable of being alone. She thinks she needs a man to complete her. We've seen this on Housewives. It's a theme on this show. It, that's what she missed. And she doesn't even it's a warm body. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be topper. It doesn't have to be cashmere. It just has to be anyone who's into her that's at the right financial level. Yeah. It's also interesting to me to watch her go through this divorce where I feel like she kind of had an awakening of some kind and was sort of like, maybe I don't want to be that settled down. You know what I mean? Like she was enjoying being a woman out on the town, getting written up, being interviewed, all that kind of stuff. But now she's so desperate to be with someone and get married. It's like, I don't, I thought that wasn't working for you. I thought you were more of a free bird. I think in her mind, what she wants is she wants to be married to someone who is fine with her being in the press okay because that was the issue is that topper's family didn't like her being in the press so she she wants to have her cake and eat it too she wants to be the it girl but she also wants to be married okay i mean i don't think that's i don't think that's unattainable but at the same time she hasn't attained it yet no but it's but i mean look at her history i mean her history I mean, RuPaul said it best. How, how the hell are you going to love somebody else if you don't love yourself? She didn't love herself. And that's why she, like, things aren't working for Topper. Well, she put up with all this horrible shit from men. That's why she was breaking into people's houses in Palm Beach, uh, stalking yeah. men. I, you know, it's just like she's... By the way, was that before or after this show? After. Oh, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't that long before she was on Housewives. Right, okay. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. Anyway, it's just, it's an interesting dynamic to watch. Um, But she's in this apartment and this is where, I don't know if she says friend, um, but her former housekeeper, Fanny, comes over. And it's presented as though she's coming over to like spend time with Tinsley and catch up. This is the woman that used to clean the Upper East Side apartment she shared with Topper. And that's what they're doing at first, except that Tinsley's actually pumping her for information about Topper. Like, is he spending time in the apartment? Is he spending time there alone or whatever? And the woman, English is clearly her second language, and she's sort of, like, just playing along. And then Tinsley walks her over to the closet and shows her where the cleaning supplies are. <laughs> oh, see, I don't even think that it was that English is her second language. I think that she was horrifically uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that she's working for both Topper and Tinsley and she agreed to do this for Tinsley. And now she's on fucking camera, which she probably wasn't, didn't realize was going to happen. And Tinsley's grilling her about Topper. And I'm sure she's thinking if I say one fucking word, I'm fired. Like Topper's family is going to fire me. So Tinsley put her in an awkward, even if there weren't cameras there, it's a horrible position to be in. And then for Tinsley to say, um, oh, and I know she won't tell Topper anything about what's going on here. Really? You're grilling her about what's going on there. Like the whole thing is just gross. The other thing that I read um, that I thought was interesting is that Topper was actually very proud of Tinsley for landing this show. And he said, like, I'll be on the show if it will help the ratings for you, apparently. Which is interesting. Then why do they blur him out of everything? 
I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to take the time to actually get his face on camera legally or something. I don't know. But that's what I read, that he offered to be on it with her. Which is wacky, because if his family is so upset that she's in the press, they must be livid she's doing this show. And then for him to say that he would help out, like, that's weird. That's what I'm telling you. The more more I read about it, the more perplexed by their divorce I am. It's just weird. I I don't get it. And I, I feel like he's had very nice things to say about her. And I realized that maybe it came from his family and not from him personally. But at the same time, like the more you read about it, it is just kind of, I mean, maybe they just kind of fell out of love and they decided that like we'd been together since they were 16 and it wasn't going to work out. But like, it's just, I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, I mean, cause she's also never had anything bad to say about him. No. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's another now moment. The- There's another moment later that I was surprised to hear come out of her mouth, too. Well, what I'd like to point out now, and I was going to point it out later, but Sunday Monday is fucking bullshit because, I, you know, I watched it twice. I watched one the first time I watched just to watch, and then I watched immediately after again and take notes. In this scene, Tinsley's bedroom is already blue. Oh, there you go. The accent wall is already blue, and the floor is already blue. So the painting happened before Fanny came over, not after. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and I also noticed that the bedroom, I mean, I get that the li- the main living area that we normally see in this apartment is massive, like, because it looks just, it looks like a giant office, but then yeah. the bedroom looks so small by comparison. The bedroom looks small. I can't get a read on the bathroom. And when she got the mop and stuff, is that some kind of big, like, pantry closet off the kitchen? I guess so. I was having a very hard time figuring out the layout. Yeah, me too. Because all I could see was that giant, stupid, round table she has in the middle of the room with that horrible old lady blue tablecloth on it. Oh, I was struggling with her headboard also. Yeah. The, like... So she has a, a head, it's a fabric covered headboard, but it's like a chinoiserie, like blue and white fabric. Yeah. I um, also like that she tried to explain, had to explain to Fanny that she took the monogram sheets because even though she was divorced, that's still her monogram. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm sure Fanny cares. I know. Um. So after, you know, pumping this woman for information, then she... She's like, you can start cleaning now. And then we get just one scene of Jules explaining what hotel life is like. And she says there's a lot of sleeping. And her mornings are spent ordering room service and using her laptop in bed, I guess. And then again, we get another little, like, very brief montage of Jules calling the manager to clean up the, quote, disaster in the hallway, which is just trays of room service. And then she... We see her talking to a manager, and she said she had to call three times to get her room cleaned. I just wrote, um, my only note was, Jules sleeps till 1.30 and is a monster. Yeah, I also, I think the calling to get her room cleaned is because it's not happening happening instantaneously, and so she keeps calling. Oh, I think it's for two reasons. Well, m- many reasons. Number one, usually if someone's in the room, they don't clean it, although we've seen that we know that she loves that she loves happen. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two, I wouldn't want to fucking clean a room. I'm sure every single maid in that whole hotel is like, I'm not going up there. Yeah. I'm sure no one wants to do it. No. Hell no. 
So in the next scene, which may be my favorite of this episode, actually, Paul goes to meet, I think it's a guy that he met, was it last episode or first episode? Whatever, some hot, beefy dude named um, Tommy. It was Tommy, and he met him at the bar where he threw whiskey okay. in Alex's right. face. Okay, episode one then. So he goes to meet Tommy at the gym. And um, Tribeca Health and Fitness, which is permanently closed. Of course, yeah. Um, my first note as Paul approaches him, like sort of on a treadmill, is that Tommy is huge. Like he is a beefy dude. I know he's standing on a treadmill platform, so it's giving him a couple inches of height, but he is a presence. He's a big dude. And Paul <laughs> looks so small by comparison. <laughs> like he looks like Gumby. It's. Um, I actually wrote in my notes that I think that Paul looks like a gay praying mantis, a gaying mantis, if you will. <laughs> yeah, he's very, very thin, especially compared to this guy. He And he moves like Pinocchio, like before he became yes. Like he's just like yes. arms akimbo, things <laughs> flying everywhere. Like it's really bad. Okay, so then, you know, Tommy's like walking him through a warm up at the gym and you see Paul running on a treadmill and Pinocchio before he became a real boy is the best description of it. It is so clunky and gangly. And then he like tries to step off the treadmill or stop it. And he almost completely wipes out like he doesn't. The concept of like stepping on the sides or jumping off it entirely just doesn't occur to him. <clears throat> and then they do some bench presses and, you know, Tommy stands over him to spot him. And Paul makes a joke about, you know, how can he focus given that Tommy's package is like inches from his face or whatever. And then <laughs> Paul describes his body and he says, well, I have a good body, but it's skinny good. And I want it to be hot, skinny good. <laughs> Oh, he also says he has amazing legs. Yes, he has amazing legs. And that is from doing years of ballet, crew, and I think there was something else. I don't remember what the other one was. But then he starts to, like, pirouette around the room. Yeah, we see him doing some ballet moves. He actually does look like he was a decent dancer, at least at one point. But yeah, he kind of falls over. <laughs> I want to know, though, what Tommy's endgame is. Is this like furthering his career to be? There's no way that he actually likes Paul. I refuse to believe it. I mean, he did a very <laughs> nice little talking head that was like, oh, I laughed so much. I had such a No, Paul is a nightmare. He's gross. Like, there's no way that hot, hot, hot Tommy is hot for Paul. Yeah. I also liked that, you know, they're bench pressing, they're warming up. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Tommy takes his tank top off just to hold the pads and is teaching Paul yeah. how to box. I mean, I wasn't mad about it, but at the same time, you know, like on his third circuit, he decided he didn't need his shirt. So, <laughs> um, And then in a scene completely out of left field, we meet one Devorah Rose of NYC episode prep. Episode three. Yeah. Of NYC prep fame. Um, and this is the only scene we get of her in this episode. All right. Well, are you ready for this? So I texted Meredith last night and I said, I'm watching the episode. I found out some dirt on uh, Devorah Rose and I here it comes. You ready for it? Yeah. So the outside shot is the laurel. So okay. They, they show, they, and, they, and they do the laurel and Devorah comes down and she talks on and on about how um, she, what does she say? My office is so nice. It's offensive, right? And they do a shot and they show like a movie theater and they show all of his space and stuff. Well, I looked up the laurel 
And it is a condo building. It is not an office building. And so right now, the uh, there were some listings and current prices. Um, you can buy a two-bedroom for 1.995 mil. A three-bedroom was 3.65 mil. A four-bedroom was 5 mil. Um, there were some rentals. You could rent a one-bedroom for 5,500 a month. You could rent a two-bedroom for 11,995. And the four-bedroom was 22,995. But when I was pulling up the listing, um, there was, you know, on, it was on, a, I, well, I don't remember if it was Zillow or where it was, um, there were some pictures. And I'm like, oh, those are the pictures of Deborah's office. That's not her fucking office. They're the amenities from the building. So listen to this. <laughs> this two-story private space offers activities for residents of all ages, including a large atrium lounge, a private screening theater, a sophisticated dining and kitchen area, which is duly used as a conference room. For the younger crowd, there is a secluded upper-level game room, which offers an arcade craft room and a computer room. So this would be like if I had you over or camera crews to my apartment <laughs> building right now and walked you through the amenities on the first floor of my building that you've been to and said, hey, everyone, this is my amazing office. Yeah. So she, let's just rent or own an apartment in that building. That's not her fucking office. It's just her goddamn apartment building. That's so good. So she is a liar. Yeah. I feel like if I did, like if I tried to take ownership over the park next door to my house, it's like my yard. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Excuse me, gentlemen, you're sitting in my yard. Um, so we should also back up a little bit and explain that Deborah Rose is the editor-in-chief of Social Life magazine. So that's why she's giving us a tour of these quote-unquote offices. Yes, which are just the common areas of our fucking condo building. Yeah, and I also read something about her magazine that they almost use, like, I forget what the um, the article said exactly, but she takes, like, snippets of other articles and then, like, puts them together. So, like, it's not highly original content. It's not like people are sitting down with Social Life magazine. Oh, my God. So it's basically like the Reader's Digest version of a society magazine. Yes. That tracks. It does. Well, and this is also where she tries to claim, well, maybe she's right, that she made Tinsley. Yeah. Like, she turned Tinsley into a socialite. Like, no one knew who Tinsley was until Devorah started covering her, until Devorah put her on the cover of her magazine. Yeah, I forgot to look it up, and I, I, we probably already did this for NYC Prep, but does the magazine still exist? It's still in her Instagram bio. It is okay. Um, so anyway, let's just let's go through the scene a bit more. So yes. she says, if someone sneezes, I'll get a text about it. So she's kind of like Gossip Girl. It's like XOXO Social Life magazine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she says she helped Tinsley get sexier and more fun. You also helped her get divorced, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You also cost her a marriage. Yeah. So then Devorah says that Tinsley's really disappeared and she doesn't like letting people use her. But she thinks that Tinsley is losing her shine. It seems that way, actually. Um, so then Paul and we get basically like everybody in a confessional gives their two cents on Devorah. And Paul says that she is a trollop who wormed her way into the New York city social scene. Probably also true. She's from Plano, Texas originally. Um, and then Devorah says that people know Paul's name, but no one takes him seriously. And that he's not a Johnson and Johnson Johnson. No, he's definitely not. Yeah. But it, the way she said it makes it sound like he's trying to pass himself off as one. I'm 
I may or may not be team Devorah, at least based on this one, like, two minutes. Oh, I am, like, just entirely based on her takes on Paul and Jules. I am 100% team Devorah in this moment. Okay, we're getting to Jules right now. So Jules then in her confessional says she is disgusted by Devorah, and she's using the word socialite and making it sound like something no one wants to be, and she's gross to look at, too. Devorah's beautiful, Um, by the way. Way prettier than Jules. Yeah. So then Devorah says that Jules Kirby is racist and homophobic, and I'd rather vomit than sit next to her. Me too. I, like, I mean, I I don't have anything to prove that otherwise. And then Tinsley in her confessional says she doesn't know Devorah very well, but that she wrote a lovely article about me, but she's not one of my friends. <laughs> now, here's where things get a little confusing for me. So I, I did a little IMDBing, and Tinsley was a producer on this show. So if there's all this weird bad blood between her and Devorah, but how did Devorah end up on the fucking show? Yeah. She just, Tinsley doesn't want to say that they're friends because she doesn't want to get in trouble for whatever Devorah might print. But it's interesting that she would be like, come on this show with me, but then try to act like they're not really friends, which just sets Devorah up to talk shit about her on the show about her. You know, I'm like, what are you, again, what was your fucking end game with this, Tins? I don't know. I don't know. And again, like, so Tinsley wants to be in the press more. She wants more press for her handbags and her life. And this is what apparently ended her marriage. But then the woman who put her on the cover of a magazine, she's not your friend. I, it's so confusing. I have a feeling the only thing that makes sense to me is we all know that Tinsley is boy crazy, can't live without a man. I wonder if she was like all up divorce, but until she met Casimir. And then when she hooked up with Casimir, it was like, oh, I'm all about Casimir. And that's what I want to hang out with. And that's what I want to talk to. Probably. Anyway. Are you ready to move on to supposed Monday? Fake Monday. Fake Monday. Fake Monday. Yeah. So <laughs> this is where we get a scene of Tinsley being stressed about work. And she loves working on her handbag line, you guys. And she's just so stressed when she's under a deadline. Not sure what, what the deadline is, but that's what she says. And so she aims to create beautiful handbags around the $200 price point because she really wants everyone to have access to these handbags. And so she's picking out fabrics at a fabric store and she migrates to this like pink. It almost looks like pink leather or like pink. I don't know. Um, And then she asks how much it is per yard. The salesman tells her and she says, do you have anything below that? And he said, well, it would be polyester. And so she cringes. Um, But then she goes to look at it anyway. Uh, And he cuts this big piece of fabric for her and she drops her phone on the ground as they're cutting this fabric and she like loses her mind momentarily about her broken phone, which I understand is a major inconvenience. And in 2010, it was sort of catastrophic, but I guess if I had Tinsley's money, I would probably sweat it a little less. Um, all she did, the battery fell out. That's it. Yeah. For my note in this, I just wrote (laughs) Tins is making her dumb bags and drops her phone while embracing polyester. Yeah. And she also teaches us how handbags are made. And she says that she's really happy in her factory. She calls it her factory. It basically is the equivalent, in my opinion, of a test kitchen. Where like you can rent out like test kitchen space to create products yeah. or test, you know, recipe development for restaurants. If you don't yet have a restaurant in which to do that or you don't have the equipment at home. It is like a factory that has, you know, fashions. It's like Project Runway. Like you can borrow 
this sewing machine and these cutters, et cetera. Well, but she doesn't, she does, she has a handbag line for another company. So it's their warehouse. I mean, it's their factory. Maybe. It's that, that other, co- I can't remember the name now. I have it in my other. Did notes, it actually say it in this episode? No, but when she says like the the warehouse, I'm assuming it's the factory where, I mean, because it's a big fashion brand that she okay. works under to make these, she designs for them. So I'm assuming it's their, where their factory. Okay. I think that's being generous, but. We'll go with that. Um, <laughs> but apparently they make handbags out of canvas first to like, you know, work on the structure and make sure that like it's sort of, which is kind of interesting that it works as like a, a working blueprint. And then they actually make it out of the fabric that they intend to make it out of. And she feels a lot of pressure because she wants it to look exactly like her drawings. And then she asks this factory worker to help her take her jacket off. She gets stuck in her own jacket. Yeah, she gets flustered and she can't take her own jacket off. I'm like, if you got it on, you can get it off. Also, I think I can design bags. I think anyone can design bags. I don't think design, I mean, I I apologize if there are any bag designers out there listening to this, but I don't think it's hard. I, I mean, you don't even know how to, like, you don't have to know anything about, like, shoulders or inseams or, like. No. Yeah. No. Well, especially the way that she's doing it. Do you, like, if someone's making handmade bags, I believe that's hard. That is involved. That is craftsmanship. She is literally just, like, sketching things on paper and handing it to someone. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I could just sketch a bag and go, here, make this. Yeah, especially when you treat people like the way the high society cast members treat people. Yeah. Um. So then we get another scene, I guess, of Dale coming over to see the apartment. Oh, Dale hasn't come over yet. That was Fanny. Okay. Dale is coming over to see the apartment furnished and she, Tinsley's bedroom is being painted as we've covered out of order. And it's being before we get to the paint, I have a confession. Yes. The very first scene of this episode is Tinsley trying to work her Dyson vacuum and she can't make it work. And I have the exact same problem. <laughs> so my parents have that exact same Dyson. We have it at our beach house. And it's, you know, it's the old, it's yellow. It's one of, one of the first Dysons. And it's an upright vacuum. And to like, you know how with an upright vacuum, usually like you step on something and it releases the handle. Yeah. Dysons don't do that. You just pull it down. There's no handle. And that's how it releases. You just kind of put your foot on the end. It took me fucking 20 minutes the first time I used this vacuum to figure out how to do that because I thought I was going to break it. And Tinsley was doing the exact same thing. So I okay. felt dumb because I'm like, oh, great. Tinsley and I are the same level of stupid when it comes to Dyson vacuum cleaners. Um, one of my friends had a full-blown meltdown trying to assemble her Dyson when it arrived. Like she got it on like Prime Day or something. and was so excited. And then it was like a horrible Lego project gone terribly awry. Like worse than Ikea furniture, apparently. Oh, they are. Like the yeah. first time I ever, because there's all these hoses <laughs> and shit attached to it, that I ever tried to use like the hose attachment to like vacuum the blinds, I couldn't, I almost started crying because I couldn't figure out how to put it back. Oh, yeah. Like it is the most complicated fucking thing ever. I hate them. I mean, we've all had something like that. Mine hasn't been a vacuum, but I'm sure what I've had plenty of moments like that. Trying to install blinds in my house. Oh my God. That almost sent me to an institution. Um, so anyway, Dale's coming over to see this apartment and the bedroom is being painted blue. But as we know, the blue is there to stay because we already saw it. And Dale is just, she hates the blue. She freaks out about it. it. She hates it. And 
the painter is there doing the job. And then she's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's not your fault. It's her fault. And points at Tis- at Tinsley. I will give her a little credit for that, though, because at least she was acknowledging that the painter was doing a good job and did not pick the color. Because yeah. at first she was coming in so hot. Like, if I was the painter in that situation and this random woman showed up and just started screaming about how hideously ugly the paint I was putting on the walls was, I would be freaking out. Yeah. No, the so painter looked a like, little not nervous. Your fault. Not your fault. And also, also, it looked fine. It looked fine. Um, what made me sad, though, is Tinsley is how old in 2010? Um, I, I don't know. Like, she's like 36, isn't she? But, like, she can't even look at her own mother and say, like, well, I like this color, Mom. You know what I mean? She just, like, puts her tail between her legs with her mother in a way that makes me so sad. She's like, well, Mom, you weren't you weren't here to help me pick it and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you can tell your mom that you like it. Yeah. But that's the problem is that everyone in Tinsley's life has infantized her. Yeah. infantilized her, however you say it. She, I mean, she's been with her high school boyfriend until recently. Her parents baby her. I'm sure Topper baby her. I mean, I think emotionally she's a teenager. Yeah. No, she is. Which we see later. We'll talk about that later. But yeah. For we sure. sure will. Um, but then the other thing that Dale is convinced of, Miss Nancy Drew over here, she says she can feel the presence of Casimir. Yes. She she can smell him out in this apartment. She's a bloodhound. Um, and so then they're talking about this event that Tinsley is going to this evening, apparently. The, and it the is a big black tie event that they won't tell us what it's for. It was I really know, annoying. I, it was really annoying. And I tried to Google it based on Tinsley's outfit and I couldn't find it. Um, and she Dale is like push like pumping her for information about who she's going with. And Tinsley's like, I, I don't have a date. I am just, I'm just going. Like, she's just kind of, like, ducking her mom's questions very badly, mind you. Um, and that's when Dale decides she's going to go to this event. And she makes a phone call to someone named PJ and says, I need a major dress in three hours. Bum, bum, bum. I know. She actually looks pretty good. So then we're at the Black Tie Charity event. That is what the place card says. It says Black Tie Charity event, Upper East yeah. Side. We don't know the venue. We don't know what the what it's for. We nothing. We know they nothing. They called it a hotel at one point. But that, it was a big hotel too. But yeah. I don't know. It didn't look like a hotel to me though, but I don't know. It, yeah, um, it looks more like ballroomy to me, but. It looks like a museum or something. I don't know. Anyway. So Tinsley shows up to this nameless event and she lets us know that she's wearing a Marquesa dress and her favorite YSL shoes. And she's carrying one of her own handbags. And Tinsley wore, yeah. Or the and leopard or cheetah? Leopard. Leopard. So Tinsley wore those YSL shoes everywhere. You can actually Google image search Tinsley YSL shoes. They were her favorite shoes for real. She wore them everywhere. I tried to find the event based on the fact that I was looking for her in this Marquesa dress. Um, and I, this may be controversial to say, Tinsley looks pretty, but I wouldn't call that outfit black tie. Um, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So it's sort of like an asymmetrical hemline. Like it's a little flowy, but it doesn't go all the way to the floor. It's like more 
it's not quite midi length, but it's not quite knee length. It's like somewhere in between. Yeah, when I think of black tie, I think floor length. I mean, you can have a slit all the way up to your hip if you want, but like I think it needs to be floor length for black tie. Well, and all of the men were in tuxedos. Yep. And she she looks like she's wearing a cocktail dress, especially because her shoes are showing. Yeah. Like that? Yeah. I mean, she looks she looks cute, but that's just it. She looks cute, whereas everybody else looks formal, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, so then we see her talking to someone who is I don't know if we got his name or a name card for him, but he was he said, I don't know who your new fiance might be. Was he like a journalist or like a reporter? We got no name card. So she goes over and talks to some hairdresser and she's like, oh, you cut my hair for that photo shoot. No name card for him. And okay. then she talks to that older guy and he's the one talking about the fiance. No name card for either of them. We have no idea who they are. Okay. And then she's like, no, I don't have a fiance, but I'm dating. And he he says something about Topper. And then she says, no, Topper's dating too. No, what he says is you can do that. Yeah. And she goes, oh, yeah. She's like, Topper's dating too. I can do that. It was weird. I feel like she and Topper still haven't decided whether or not they're getting divorced. I know she said in episode one they had decided they were going through with it, but it still seems very up and down. Yeah. Maybe they're like, maybe this is their separation phase to see if they want to come back together or not. I have no idea, but something is very, it's like, it's too nice. I don't know. But I also thought like, who is this rando who's like, be like, you're allowed to date. I'm like, I'm separated. I'm getting like, what the fuck? Who go away, old man. Who gives a fuck? None of your business. Yeah. So I would have said if I was her, be like, I can do whatever I want. It's also a 35 year old woman. It's also public knowledge that they were separated. So like, yeah, I back know. off. Anyway, I still I find their separation and divorce really interesting, though, and I need to find some long farm article about it before we finish the series. So then Kazi, of course, is coming to the event. Dale was correct. She could smell him. And Tinsley's all excited because she thinks it's their first event together in the city. And it sort of makes a statement that they're a couple. And I was very surprised that when he shows up in his tux, he walks right up to her in front of everybody and kisses her. And the cameras. Yeah. His bow tie was askew, though. It was bothering me. Yeah. But still, like, after last week when we saw him in Paris or whatever, this is quite a switch. I Agreed. I, I, I thought we would never see him on camera ever again. I don't know yeah. how she talked him into it. Nope. And so then they, like, say hello. And she, again, is very infantile and says, like, do you like my braid? I think it's really cute. And she's just like talking about a detail in her hair. Um, And then he looks at her because there's like the little step and repeat. And like, she's saying hello to people. And he says, let me know when you're ready to go upstairs, but you go ahead and do your thing. (laughs) Meaning like do the step and repeat 10 times, maybe. I don't know. But I I still thought it, I still thought it was nice that he was like, well, go do your thing and I'll wait here. Like, I'm not going to do that, but go ahead. Um, And then Dale shows up. Looking, looking great. Looking great. Yeah. Just by the way. And if you want to talk about someone who's appropriately dressed for this event, it's Dale. Yeah, to the floor, strapless. I mean, not red. strapless, but like it had little like spaghetti straps kind of. Um, red with pink accents. It was gorgeous. She looks Yeah, fabulous. she looks she looks great. And she tells Tinsley that she's there to be her date. And Tinsley is gobsmacked and embarrassed. She looks like a teenager who like got caught smoking cigarettes in the backyard or something. And Dale is 
she's evil, but in a way that's very entertaining. <laughs> and she looks at Tinsley and she says, well, you told me you would be here by yourself. You know, like she has no fucks. She is, she's a force to be reckoned with. And, well, and, and I love too when she's like, who, I don't understand, I don't know who this girl is. Like my Tinsley loves me. She loves to be around me. I came down here to support, like she should <laughs> yeah. be thrilled that I'm here. She was coming by herself and I'm going to sit here at this dinner with her. I don't understand what the problem is. This is all Casimir. Casimir's just changed her. Yes. So this is what happens. Frank jumped ahead a little bit, but I appreciate your Dale impression so much. <laughs> so Tinsley immediately starts saying like, no mummy, no mummy, no mummy. It's very creepy. And so she's, Tinsley gets very upset. And she says she's upset with herself for hiding her feelings for Casimir from her mother. But she wants Dale to leave. She tells her mom that she's not alone she has a plus one to this event, but that the table is full and she does not want to have an extra guest and that it would make her look bad. And so she's begging her mother to leave. And so they go down to the bottom of the stairs and Dale is sort of like, what do you mean you want me to leave? You know, I can't just squeeze into your table. And Tinsley says, yeah, I want you to leave. Your dress is amazing, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciated. <laughs> and then she looks at her mom and she looks like she's going to cry. And she says, like, she basically says, I don't want to be another page six item. And then Dale is crying in her confessional that Tinsley hurt her feelings and she knew the prince was there. And so then we literally get like a cat and mouse chase. Oh, it reminded me of Benny Hill. I was supposed to be like, because like Casimir so goes bad. in one way and then Dale follows Casimir and then Tinsley follows Dale and the camera crew follows everybody. I mean, it was hysterical, like in one door, out another door, up the stairs, down the stairs. It doesn't make any sense either. So Dale is literally chasing Casimir through this event and she wants to ask him why he keeps Tinsley from her family. I don't I don't understand the history of it. I can't find any record of it. I don't I don't understand. And after Dale sees Casimir, why doesn't Tinsley just say like, "Mom, please, he's my plus one. This is a big deal to me. I'll talk to you tomorrow." Like she still won't even acknowledge that Casimir is there. No. They just like they're chasing each other and She's mortified by her mother and like Dale is being a little relentless and very strange, but I don't get why Casimir won't talk to her. And there had to be multiple cameras because we have two or three times where the cameras are chasing Casimir and he keeps like knocking them away. Yeah. And there's also a camera on Dale. So like there's Casimir being chased by a cameraman plus Dale and a cameraman's chasing Dale and then Tinsley's chasing Dale and that cameraman. Like it's ridiculous. And they're all, they go, they, they, at one point they go to the kitchen. They all yeah. go to the kitchen. Like, it's crazy. No, and then Tinsley comes out and tries to get her mother away. Her mother breezes by her, opens the kitchen door, and is like, Casimir. <laughs> it is, it's so much. And then Dale says, I can see him wrecking her life. And then she talks about the horror. <laughs> Not the horror, but the horror. It's it just doesn't make any sense. And I tried to Google it. Like, why does Dale hate this guy so much? And I don't. TBD. Maybe we find and out. And then the episode ends with Dale giving herself pink eye. Oh, yeah. She picks so up the guy, bottom of her dress. Yes. She picks up the hem of her dress <laughs> that has been dragged on the floor all over this ballroom to wipe her tears. She wipes her eyes with her dirty dress hem. I'm like, oh, you're going to get pink eye. That's disgusting. I forgot. That is really gross. 
It's really gross and shocking. Like no one had a fucking cocktail napkin. You're at, I mean, give me a break. Yeah. Or find a lady's room. Anything. But she, I mean, she bends over, picks up the dress and the very, very, very bottom of the hem, like sticks it in her eye. Yeah, she does. It's gross. The whole thing is just so weird. I really want to know where this thing with Kazi is going. And like, how long have they been dating? Like, Tin, again, it's just another strange mystery. People are surprised to hear that Tinsley's dating, right? Like, just the guy minutes before down the stairs was like, oh, wow, you're dating? But she makes it seem like she and Kazi are some big deal and long enough that Dale hates him? I don't know. The whole thing is crazy. And the, this show is crazy in that it should just be called High Plot Holes. Yeah. I mean, because every episode, like, stuff <laughs> happens, and then the next episode occurs, and we get no closure, and they never talk about it again. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it, can we can we just wrap up something any anywhere, <laughs> anytime, ever, please? <laughs> Pinocchio before he became a real boy and the plot holes. Oh, and the that's, plot holes. <laughs> that's their band name. <laughs> um, and then we do get some scenes from the next, which is where Paul, Tinsley agrees to let Paul dress her for some event and or the opera i guess and it looks like she's not too happy with what he picked um paul ends up in page six again which i think we probably already know about was yet another purse stealing incident i'm assuming yeah um and then devora gets snubbed at the opera by tinsley and implies that she's going to go scorched earth on her yes oh i forgot to drop the thing that i found out about devora and texted you about too when you look up her Instagram, oh, yeah, this was and good. You, Tell can, them. you can see that the magazine is still in good standing. Her most recent post, as of today anyway, was pictures of her and her, quote, best friend, Elizabeth Margulies from Gallery Girls. I was really disappointed that she had sunglasses on, though, because I wanted to see her face better. Oh, scroll through. Go look you at Devorah's Instagram. Yeah. Liz has done a lot to her face. Oh, that's sad. That makes me sad. Because she's yeah. pretty. Yeah. She also was engaged a while back because I feel like we talked about it and I have not seen a wedding and I haven't seen the ring in a minute. So there's that also. I feel like it tracks so that she and Devorah are friends like that tracks for me. Yeah, no, I was kind of like, oh, I like it. Yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. All right, you guys. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode and we will see you in two weeks. Please, in the interim, try not to wipe your eyes with the bottom of your dress. Thanks for listening to another episode of One Hit Wonderful. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at OneHitPod. You can email us at franklymarebe at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nana's Mink. And you can find me on Twitter at HeyIt'sMareB. Please remember to rate and subscribe. And have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>